Episode 46 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. A seed was planted. Alrighty, team, welcome along to episode 46 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles, your monthly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that go alongside it. Well, welcome along to this month's show, guys. I've um, I've got a couple topics I want to do in today's show and um, a couple interesting concepts that I want to get across. I was hoping to get uh, Gilbert Anoka on for this month's show, but he's still working with the All Blacks and I'm hoping to actually arrange an interview with him um, in the next couple of weeks, so that you know, maybe before Christmas, actually, the show I released before Christmas. Hopefully, I've got Gilbert and Noka. Now, for those of you who don't know much about Gilbert and Noka, Gilbert and Noka is uh, pretty much the head coach, the kind of psycholo- psychologist slash mentor for the All Blacks. And I know if you're in New Zealand listening to this and, and rugby playing nations, you'll know of the All Blacks. But for those who don't know, the All Blacks are New Zealand's rugby team, and rugby is our definitely the sport that most New Zealanders are most passionate about and uh, the All Blacks have this this tradition of being massively successful and uh, for example in the last I think three years they've only lost two games and only had two draws and um, they just they just are an unbelievably successful uh, sporting team and uh, fortunately I've, I've spoken to a previous coach a guy called Graham Henry a couple of years ago and he was talking to me about the work that he did with Gilbert Anoka around how do we even take our culture um, to a high level and then how do we help individuals find another extremely high level within themselves and I think the thing to think about when you think about like an athlete of the highest level is these people already always explore that question anyway. So if you're a top sportsman in the world in your position, you're kind of always exploring that question of how do I get better? And so for people who are naturally that way inclined, how do you, you know, as a mentor or, or as a as a coach to those people, how do you actually get into the place where you're able to create that? So I'm hoping that I'll be able to get Gilbert on for next month's show and be able to hear some of the insights that he has and I think ultimately the the questions I want to explore with him is, you know, it's one thing to work with these high-level performers, these people who have this very uh, important driver behind their actions in their life. But then how do we apply that to everyday people who, you know, maybe aren't as 100% focused towards achieving an outcome that they're working towards in, you know, a culture that's really important. Uh, I'm sure... Gilbert will have lots of great insight to have. So fingers crossed I'll be able to get him on for next month's show. I thought I'd share an experience before I get into today's main gist of the show. I wrote a piece recently on uh, on uh, for the paper that I do and uh, it also went on my website, bevanjamesisles.com and uh, I just had a really interesting experience when I was in Kona and it made me really think about something that we should probably all consider and I'll probably talk a little bit around this piece. Now, if you have if you get my blog uh, email to you, you may already have this or read this piece, but I think it's an important topic to talk about. And the concept was, um, when I was in Kona, well, I suppose I'll start off with where I started in the piece, is that a few years ago, we started to see these YouTube clips of, you know, like the Dove Soap one, where they, they started to reveal 
the amount of effort it took to make someone look beautiful for marketing campaigns, e.g. female models. And they'd show you the, the raw photo being taken of this, this person who, you know, looked pretty everyday, you know, not like a supermodel, had faults, had, you know, not the best skin, maybe it was a little bit overweight. You know, they definitely weren't perfect if we're saying perfection is what we see in a magazine. And, uh, and then from that moment, they kind of took you through this process of showing you everything that goes into place to make this person look like this in the photo. And it started off with the makeup and the hair and, and the lighting to make the photo as good as possible. And then from there, the photo was then, you know, through things like Photoshop and graphical tools, they then transformed this person into someone who wasn't even, didn't even kind of, kind of look, kind of look, kind of look, look like, like the first person who sat down to photo. And these YouTube clips came out and they were very, very, very kind of grabbed a lot of attention because uh, it exposed kind of the lie of a lot of marketing that's put in front of us in the world. And it was um, it was one of those things that made you, I know for myself, made me reflect and think about how, you know, I need to protect myself from this. And I know being a male, it's something that we don't have to face as much, but um, it's something we still have to face. Like I know that, you know, a lot of the, the imagery that's presented for males in the world is kind of creating these unrealistic expectations around body and, you know, and all these other types of things. But to be fair, it's definitely a lot more in the face of females out there in the world. And so you can kind of understand how this type of marketing and this type of manipulation of imagery can be a really dangerous thing for for many, many people in society and particularly for females because they seem to be confronted with it more often. And I know for myself, one thing that when I started to see these things come through is that I really started to address the idea that I need to know that what I'm looking at is not real when I'm presented with these things. And so in my mind, I kind of subconsciously, when I see these guys who have perfect bodies, and far out, I'm a guy who has, you know, I, I do fitness for a living, so I've got a body that, you know, that I'm pretty happy with, and I'm sure, um, you know, that a lot of people would admire for some reasons, without sounding up myself. <laughs> um, but even I, you know, that could create insecurities in someone like myself. <clears throat> so, so, you know, and I think we all probably are aware of these things happening and I do think it's important that as a consumer of these types of things that we need to to put a almost like a filter between ourselves and what we're looking at and to realize that it's not real and it's unfair on ourselves to put judgment or expectation on ourselves based on what we're seeing in front of us in those moments. So that kind of gives you an idea of that, that concept I'm talking about there. Well, I was over in Kona a few weeks ago doing the work at the Ironman and um, we did this uh, race. We do a fun race every time we're over there and it's called an Aquathon Challenge. And what it is is you have to swim probably about, I don't know, maybe 500 metres, 600 metres, and then you have to run 2Ks. But the funny thing about the triathlon or the Aquathon is that you have to run keeping your wetsuit on now, when you're in Hawaii, it's like 30 degrees, so it's pretty hot, and it's it's a bit of a laugh that when I'm doing my other podcast, I Am Talk, we do it every time for a bit of a laugh. So we do the Aquathon, and um, you know, after the Aquathon, you pretty much rip your, your wetsuit off straight away because it's pretty hot, and you're walking around with your top off and all the rest of it, and it's kind of Hawaii, so you do. And you, you know, because it was a bit of a social event within the I Am Talk community, we were kind of taking lots of photos and stuff. Now, a couple of days later on Facebook, somebody put a photo up of me that it's fair to say I really didn't like. Um, 
it, it wasn't a very nice uh, first of all I'm starting to recede and it kind of revealed my receding in a way that I didn't really like um, and then also I just that I just looked a, bit, a little bit overweight and now when we say overweight there are scales of overweight but for someone like myself who you know tends to be pretty lean and pretty sharp most of the time you know you could definitely tell that I was on holiday let's put it that way and uh, someone even went and put a comment saying that I looked fat and stuff like that, which I have to admit I thought was a little bit poor form and you need to be pretty careful and delicate around how you word things around people. So I wake up one morning and on my Facebook feed on my own wall there was this picture of me and, and I instantly didn't like it. And I thought to myself, oh, I've got to get rid of this. So I, the person who put the photo up on there had tagged me in it. And so I instantly removed my tag from the photo. So that while the photo stayed up on Facebook, uh, the people who would come to my world or would see my world would no longer see that photo. And uh, I kind of know why I did it. You know, ultimately, I didn't really like the photo. I didn't really like how I looked in the photo. And uh, yeah, it's probably, you know, just didn't like it. After untagging the photo, I started to really think about the way I represent myself to my world. And it's actually quite ironic that I talk about this now because yesterday on Facebook I changed my profile photo. Uh, I just recently did a photo shoot for some up-and-coming photographer who wanted to do some athlete photos. And, and you know, I only did these a couple of weeks ago and I'd lost that weight that I had in Kona. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're nice photos where I'm looking very sporty and athletic and I was quite happy to put those on Facebook and that was the thing that I discovered through this experience where they said is my social media representation of myself a true representation of myself to my world or is my social media representation of myself is that a curia, cur, sorry, curated representation of myself that puts me in the best light possible or at least puts me in a light that I'm happy to show the world in. So if we look at the two examples I have there, when somebody else tagged me in a photo where I was maybe just a little bit overweight and the fact that I was receding started to really show up, I instantly got rid of that photo. Whereas when I've had professionally photos, professional photos done where you know I'm, I'm, I'm looking sharp and I'm looking good, I'm more than happy to put those photos on Facebook. When I look at my Facebook photos, the history of photos I've put on Facebook, I don't think there's any photos on there that I don't like of myself. Also, when I think about the way I communicate on Facebook, now I have to admit nowadays my, my social media profiles are more about, not really advertising, but kind of just exposing people to the work I do. It's not necessarily a thing where it's me sharing my everyday life with my world, but at the same time, is the way I represent my character and my personality in my social media world a true representation of the 100% version of myself? Now the answer to both of those questions is no. Actually, I do choose to present myself to these worlds in a way that puts the light on me in the best way possible. Now, is this an un is this a lie? Well, no, I don't think it is. I don't think I'm actually lying about what I am in these situations. I do think that I am being, you know, it's a version of myself. It's not, I'm not being something I aren't in this world, but it's definitely the better version of myself. For example, um, I'm, 
I'm, I'm someone who cares about politics quite a lot and I have and I am kind of a strong opinionated person when it comes to politics and when the uh, local elections happened in New Zealand about three or four months ago I didn't really voice any of my opinion on politics at that time because I didn't want to have maybe people who would disagree with me around that or maybe there are some other areas of myself which are weaknesses that I don't like to expose to my social profile or my social media profile. Now, why is this important to think about this stuff? Well, I suppose ultimately that what what this got me thinking about was, it's you know, it's funny how critical we all became of the photoshopped model in the magazine. How when these these video exposés, which really exposed what the tools and the tricks that he used to present a lie to us, to sell to us, how we were so anti this. But in a lesser form, I'm guilty of the same thing myself. Like in a lesser form, I'm doing what the people who are trying to sell stuff to magazines are doing themselves. Now, should I stop that? Now, this is a really important question that I had thought about. it, And I think ultimately that's a choice you can decide yourself. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with protecting yourself from your insecurities in your world. So if you are someone who is overweight and you don't want to put photos up where you feel fat and overweight, I don't think it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's okay to want to protect yourself around your insecurities. You know, my receding hairline is one thing that does put a bit of, I put too much energy into around an insecurity around that. And it's something I'm trying to work on within myself. But at the same time, and I'm trying to learn to accept that and accept that it's a part of aging, but at the same time, I don't necessarily want to put, feel I have to put photos up where I feel, you know, that's exposed in ways I don't like. But like I'm saying with regards to the Photoshop uh, magazine pieces, I think one thing we need to start to train ourselves towards is, are the way you're, exp- or, or do you need to put a filter between the, what you're experiencing in your social media world that helps you realise that it's actually not a true representation of the people's lives you are seeing. It's a curate, curated choices that these people are making to present themselves probably in their best light. Now, you probably will get the odd person who's really out there and doesn't seem to give a crap at all, but I think that for most of, most people on things like Instagram and Facebook and those types of you know social media outlets, that if you were to ask them 100%, is what they are on Facebook a 100% representation of themselves, they'd probably agree that it's not, that it is that kind of better version of themselves. And I'm sure as I'm talking about this right now, you probably see this in yourself, that this way I expose myself to my world is, you know, definitely I'm putting my best foot forward, if you know what I mean. And so I think one thing that we want to think about knowing this and, and really thinking about this topic is that If I know that I'm doing this myself, I can understand that most of my world's probably doing it as well. So I then need to create a filter that doesn't allow me to make judgment on myself based around what I'm seeing in my social media world. I remember recently I read a study, they were talking about how these social media worlds can have these real negative effects on people's lives. And, uh, you know, and, and there's lots of reasons why a lot of people can spend way too much time on them and, you know, pull away from human contact. And, you know, we know the problems around these things. 
But one of the other main reasons was is that people felt they had dull lives because when they went on to things like Instagram, it was always pictures of people traveling around the world or or doing these exciting life experiences or or you know doing these you know being these great people. And when they compared themselves to this, they actually felt that they were you know their life was lacking for many reasons. Now with this in mind, again, what we want to think about is. I need to create a filter between what I'm seeing on these social media worlds and a way to protect myself from judgment of myself that is harmful to me. So, you know, in, in thinking of this, I suppose ultimately a good way to think about this is for you to um, to, to, to almost, that, that filter could be my social media world is the 30% representation of that, the best version of that person that they want to show to themselves. So when they look at these things, I can I can understand that these people aren't showing the sides of themselves that maybe they're insecure about or maybe they don't like the world to see. And so that way, I don't need to own any unfair judgment on myself. So, so they have that filter as you're looking at it. The second thing to be aware of is Am I actually feeling a sense of disappointment or dissatisfaction in myself due to the fact I'm looking at these things or when I am looking at these things? And when I am doing that, what's a way for me to actually deal with this and remove those thoughts from my head? And I think if you think back to the first step of just seeing these social outlets as for what they are, and then, uh, you know, you'll have a you know, you can then probably remove yourself from me worrying about judgment of self. Then I think one other thing is just to, to, to consider how much time I am spending in these worlds and am I spending a level of time in these worlds that is maybe a little bit unsafe for me. And, you know, we all know that a lot of people spend huge amount of time on social networking or on social networking platforms. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm better off to do things that give me a sense of I'm developing myself and I'm moving towards these things that make me feel like I'm lacking in those areas. So I, I hope I hope that gives you something to think about. It's interesting, you know, like they say that your your social media world is just a representation of yourself. And I know that for me... Uh, like being a fitness professional, my, my feed, and being a fitness professional who accepts everybody into a social media, media world, uh, my Facebook feed is a lot of people showing their bodies off. My Facebook, my Instagram, uh, bloody hell, the amount of people who show their, their healthy meals, it does my head in, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, I don't really care about seeing a healthy meal, but, um, you know, that is my will. That's when I go into those places, that's all I see. And so, you know, that's not a real representation of the world either. So just some stuff to think about if you do feel a sense of insecurities or dissatisfaction around your life because of this. I think it's an important thing to allow yourself to have the filter and to not own unfair judgment on yourself because of that. That's not even the main part of today's show. So I'm going to get into it. Um, I've already done 20 minutes. I normally do about 40 minutes. So uh, I've done 20 minutes. I'm going to get onto that the main part of the show right now. Um, I'll put some music on and you guys can rock out and enjoy it from here. Here we go. And one thing I love in life is, is a great thinker. I always admire the people who in your life who seem to have this ability to be able to think through a subject to 
an extremely high level. And I know that, uh, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, you know, my life's been very much about being physical to this moment in my life. You know, my whole adult life has been this physical journey about pushing myself physically. And I remember thinking to myself about three or four years ago that I want to make my life about thinking as I move into the next stage of my career. Actually, I probably thought that about seven or eight years ago. And I have a few people in my life who really inspire me around that. Uh, well, my friend uh, Chris, who really I don't see much of nowadays and, and don't really keep in contact with, but this is a man who was an important person in my life at a very young age. And I've, I'm sure I've talked about him on the show in the past. And Chris was just such a great thinker. And I always loved spending time with him. And uh, he, made, made me, he made me feel thick, but not in a way that was a downer. It was, it was in a way that inspired and impressed me and uh, and really uh, created a vision of, you know, or not even a vision, but just this kind of, you know, this aspiration that I wanted to move towards myself and my own thinking. And then, uh, and then there's, there's certain content creators that I love. I've, I've probably talked about Dan Carlin, or, or maybe I haven't, but there, there's a guy called Dan Carlin who I think has the best podcast in the world called Hardcore History. It's a, a history podcast that um, he has this amazing ability to be able to put history in a context that is just so fascinating. And he has an ability to be able to put it in your shoes and, and make you really, I don't know, he just sells it so well. And... Uh, he, he was actually what inspired this podcast, I'll be honest, because I did another podcast called Fitness Forever with a guy called Ish, and I felt with that show we were a bit, sometimes good, we were a bit hit and miss, to be honest, and uh, we were a bit rushed, and, and sometimes we wouldn't put enough thought into our shows, and uh, Dan Carlin, I just, you know, he had another podcast, or he has another podcast called Common Sense with Dan Carlin, which is a political podcast mainly based around American politics, and admittedly uh, being in New Zealand, there's not necessarily a lot of value around the political stuff he's talking about around American politics, but I, I just love listening to this guy because his, his thinking ability is so in-depth and, uh, you know, you can tell he'll sit and think about a subject for a long time and then really kind of try to hit it from every angle and then come up with some ideas that he shares with them, with you know, with the listener and, and in a way that's like, I'm not quite sure if this is right, but here's where I'm coming from. And I always, I always, you know, I've always admired his work and been inspired by his work. There's a guy in triathlon who who is like this as well. And there's a guy called Gordo. Gordo Byrne is his name. And um, if you've been around Ironman for a long time, you've you've probably heard of Gordo. Gordo was this guy who, um, a very successful man. At a very early age, went and did the financial game, went over, I think he was in Hong Kong, and, you know, chased the financial challenge and, and got, you know, some of the rewards of that challenge and ultimately determined at a certain moment in his life that he wanted to be an athlete. And so then he committed to becoming an Ironman athlete. Now, Gordo, when he started out doing triathlon, wasn't the kind of guy who you thought was, you know, like he was just an, an every, everyday guy who, well, you know, was... You know, not he wasn't even that fit. He was overweight. He was, you know, again, doing the the financial thing and maybe enjoying too much of the benefits that come alongside it at those times. But then he decided he wanted to be an athlete. And Gordo was the kind of personality that if he's going to do something, he's going to commit 
everything of himself to do this. So much so that in his time, he actually went on to race as a professional Ironman triathlete, uh, getting podium spots in some races around the world. So he went on to become this very high-level athlete and achieve some amazing goals, especially where you see where his start point started from. So for a, a lot of athletes who do Ironman, is they've, they've kind of been athletes their whole life. They may not have done triathlon, but they have this history of sport and high-level sport. Well, Gordo wasn't that. Gordo was an everyday guy who was actually unfit and a little bit overweight, turned his life around, and he was a real example of someone who gives 100% of himself to achieve the best version of himself. And uh, like there was no stone unturned. He looked at every factor, you know, gear, training, nutrition, the mental game, every side of what it took, and he committed 100% to achieving this. So he was someone who had this resolve about him that was, you know, it was pretty admirable. And uh, fortunately for me, Gordo made one of his training bases. There's a guy called Scott Molina, for those who don't know, was a world champion Ironman triathlete. And uh, Scott was based in the city that I live in called Christchurch. And uh, for that reason, Scott has always tended to attract other top-level triathletes coming and training in Christchurch. And when I started doing triathlon, Gordo used to spend about six months of the year coming and training in Christchurch. So, you know, for a period of time there, I would train with Gordo, and um, I also would do these these camps called Epic Camps, which, which I've talked about on this podcast many times in the past. Now, the thing about Gordo is, is he's one of those guys who has this amazing ability to think, you know, and I know that when I spend time with Gordo, that I, you know, even if I'm feeling kind of intelligent myself or if I'm feeling that I'm a good thinker, I walk away from it going, wow, man, I need to work on my thinking skills. His ability to really break down problems and, um, you know, to really hit them, like I was saying with Dan Carlin, to really hit them from all different angles is... His ability to do that to a high level is something that I really admire, and, and again, he very much inspires me. Now, Gordo's got a blog, and it's a really good blog. At first, back in the day, he used to do a lot of triathlon stuff, but nowadays, he kind of it's, it's very much his philosophy on life, and he talks a lot about finance, and he talks a lot about, um, you know, just um, the athlete, the athlete journey, and, and just his own personal journey around parenting, and, you know, as his life progresses, and it's very much just his philosophy on life and just sharing some of his thoughts and he has a pretty good following around what he does. Well the other day I was on the internet and on, I'm not sure what where I was, but I, I saw that he had done a new post and I saw the title for the post and I thought, wow, what an amazing idea. And at the same time, I decided not to read Gordo's thoughts on the title of his post because I was I didn't necessarily want to be influenced around what he said because I, I wanted to create something around it myself and I didn't necessarily want to plagiarize his thoughts. But the, the post title was, um, I suppose before I even go there, <laughs> don't be afraid to become a great thinker. Like, develop your thinking skills. I think there's real value in this. I think there's real value in becoming, to spend time in your life learning how to be a better thinker. And and that can be taken to many different areas. That can be learning how to, to problem solve and, and to strategize better. It can be learning how to, to think your way through your own character flaws and, and things like that. But, you know, we don't often spend time in our life developing our thinking ability. And to me, 
that is, you know, if, the, if your thinking ability gets better, I, I believe that your ability to function in the world will improve as well. So as you think about your development, we often spend a lot of time developing, you know, our physical self. And, and, and you know, alongside that, there's going to be the development of the thinking as well. But, you know, don't be afraid to, to, to devote time to your life to become a better thinker. So that maybe in other people's lives, you become the Gordo or the Chris or the Dan Carlin type of character who, you know, you know, I often think that for me, those people, I walk away from those conversations with people like those people and and they plant a seed in my mind around who I am and where I can go. So I kind of just took a bit of a side note there, but I'm back. So, you know, going back to this post that Gordo did and, and the post title was, it was something along the lines of, I don't remember exactly right, but it was something along the lines of, what is the cost of entry into the worlds you live in within your life? I'll repeat it again. What is the cost of entry, or even just the cost, of being in the world that you currently surround yourself in? Now, when we talk about surrounding ourselves, that could be a conscious choice. You know, I choose to hang out with these people, or it could be a subconscious choice. These are the people who I have to work with, or, or, or no, that's not necessarily subconscious. This is just the way it's always been. Or it could be a, a forced environment, you know, that my workplace, you know, I've got to earn a living, so this is where I need to be. Now, when we think about this question, this whole concept, of, I suppose if I'm going to break this back a little bit, I suppose the first thing to think about is, what are the worlds you live in? And I know this taps a little bit into the concept of the environments that I've done before on podcasts, on the podcast, but when you think about your life right now, what are the different worlds that you live in? And, you know, can you break those down to different segments? So for me, I live in a gym world. I, I do work for Les Mills. It's a big part of my life. I live in um, my business world. I've got my running groups. I live in my home world. And I've got my social world as well. Um, let's just say that's what they are right now. So when you think about yourself in your own life, what are the different worlds you are in? Now, once you've started to really break down what those are, you're probably fine. I'm not sure. I, I kind of off the top of my head just thought of four right then. But for you, you know, I imagine it's anywhere from one to ten, or who knows. But there's going to be an amount of, of worlds that you're going to be experiencing. Now, we often don't sit back and think about what is the cost of entry of me being in this world. So let's look at this on a social light. Let's say that you are somebody who has a group of friends who you spend, you know, at least one day a week with. That might be on a, on a weekend, on a weekend night, or it might be, you know, doing a certain activity or something like this. Now, when you start to think about what is the cost, and, and when we look at cost, we're not necessarily looking at it in a negative or a positive light at this moment. We're just starting to identify what are the costs of me being in this world. So let's say you hang out with a group of friends who socially you really enjoy their company. Uh, the cost is, you know, we could get really detailed on this. There, there's there's a fashion level that we all we all like to to live by you know that I remember when I was 18 you know there was a look that my friends had and at the end of the day I, I had that look as well that there was this kind of agreed upon image that me and my friends were happy to sit within and so you know th that was one of the costs so you know there's you know 
financially and and image wise the way i self-perceived myself there was this this cost around doing this when you start to think about all these different things the cost that it costs for you to be in the world you could start to look at things like that you can also look at the actions that we take in this world so uh, let's say you're a group of boys and there's a drinking culture that comes with being in this world so you can actually look at the behaviors that your world determines you need to maintain to be a part of this world now once we can start to identify these types of things you know what are what are the 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 values what are the actions what are the the kind of unwritten rules that i have to live with within this world then we can start to assess what are the good parts of this and what are the costs that aren't necessarily that healthy for me. So for example, you may determine that, you know, I've got a really good group of friends and, uh, you know, there's an image we like to live in, but I'm quite happy to sit in that. It's, you know, that, that works within my my lifestyle and my income. And But at the same time, there's a drinking cost that comes with it and they like to binge drink to an extreme level which often I go to behaviours I'm not that happy within. The positive of that is that I have this, this this social bond with these people that's really important to me, and this sense of belonging is, is something that I really value in my life. So what you're starting to do here is you're, you're not necessarily saying making a predetermined decision around the world. You're just really starting to see to, to, to assess what are the costs and what you know and when we look at costs the benefits and the the negative aspects of me being in this world now once you start to do this work here you can then really start to con- contemplate are the costs that, that for me being in this world do they outweigh the benefits of me being in this world now sometimes you'll determine to yourself that you know like there's always going to be situations where, you know, it's no world's going to be perfect for you 100% of the time. And so you, what you'll need to determine for yourself is, is, is what level of this world is that am I happy with and what are some of the negative costs that I'm willing to sit within that maybe aren't even that bad for me. Now once you start to assess these things and see them for what they really are, then you can spend time assessing how you can make these worlds work better for you and what costs do you need to move away from. So I'll give you an example. I've got this person in my life who um, in some ways is a, is a real inspiration to me and has been a bit of a mentor in my life in, in certain aspects of, of my life. And this person is very knowledgeable in an area of my life that I like to learn in and when I spend time with them in a one-on-one way, I really enjoy their company, um, they inspire me, they educate me, they're very supportive of me and I get a lot of value from this time I spend in, in that world with this person. There's a side of this person who, uh, that I'm not necessarily that, it's not that I'm unattracted to it, but they're just it's not the kind of person I want to be. This person um, likes to drink a lot, uh, they... they um, have some ethics around that come with this drinking that I necessarily don't agree with and don't necessarily want to be doing myself and so for me when I started to think about moving into the world with this person if I went all in with this person 
would the cost be that I become someone who has to drink a lot and I become someone who has to lose some of my ethics around, um, you know, certain behaviours that I want to maintain within myself that are, that are integral to my own sense of self-identity and my own sense of esteem in my life. And if I were to fully commit to this person's world, I, I wonder if I would be strong enough to always maintain my own standards. And ultimately what I've determined with this person is that I have a really great relationship with this person in this area here, in this, in this way, this, you know, in a way that can make the relationship work for both of us, where I add value to his life in, in this way and he adds value to my life. But there's aspects of, of his world that I don't need to be attached to. And so instead of just taking on the whole world that being with this person offers, I can take good parts, but don't necessarily have to take the parts that I don't feel sit in line with me. So I've looked at the cost of being in this world, and I've determined there are some really cool benefits, but there are some costs that I don't want, and so I can then determine what levels I want within myself. Now when you start to think about this stuff, that's what the kind of choices you can work toward yourself, is that you can look at, you know, okay, what are my worlds? What is the cost in the entry or the cost to participate is probably a better way of thinking about it. The cost for me to participate in this world. What are the negative aspects of, the, of these costs and what are the positive aspects? Now, if you're in a world where you ultimately find that the negative aspects are too big, you might be you might wake up through this experience and realise that your friends all um, are lacking. You know, it's actually here's a really good example. Years ago I was in America and I was staying with these people who uh, were working really hard and these ways, the way these people kind of dealt with a hard day's work was to get drunk. Now we were working hard every day, I was doing 14 hour days, 7 days a week and the way these people dealt with this, this massive workload was to pretty much get drunk every night and they started to create this, these habits of you know, that drinking is, is how we deal with this world. The, the thing about this group that I was in was it was a group that lots of people admired and wanted to be a part of, you know, it was, you know, I was, we were in a position where um, we were above people who were looking from below us in a way that they aspired to be like us. I know that sounds really up myself, but, it, you know, we're in a position, that's really hard to describe, we're in a position where lots of people thought we were cool because of the position we were in, not necessarily the people we were. And for that reason, a lot of people would come in along and hang out with us. And this this group that I'd hung around with had created this drinking culture that was extreme drinking on a regular basis. And these people who came into our world wanted to be a part of us because, again, because of the position we were in, there was something that they aspired to, not necessarily the, the people we were. And you'd see these people come into our world and they would... They would drink in ways they, they, they couldn't handle. Now, the people I were with, you know, these people were, were quite big drinkers and they could handle a lot of drink and they did it so often that they kind of knew how to survive in this world. And you get these people who come along into our world and they were trying to impress us because of our position and the cost to them was massive. You know, they got to the point of drunkenness that was actually pretty pretty dangerous and sometimes and also some of the behaviors that came alongside that dangerous drinking was you know I'm sure they woke up in the morning and questioned some of the behaviors that came alongside that 
Now, when we look at that example there, is, is we had a world where people admired us because of a position we were in, and our world had these rules within it, there were ways of dealing with stress around drinking that was extremely unhealthy. And then these people would want to come into our world because of, again, because of the position, they come into our world and have to sacrifice a lot of their health in a way to sit in our world. And to be honest, most of the people who came into our world didn't handle it very well and it came, you know, at a physical and mental cost that was way too high. And and I think that what that's that's a really good example of thinking about this stuff is to look at your worlds <clears throat> and to really see where are you hurting yourself. Now with this in mind, we can do that adverse thing as well. We can kind of go, okay, well, if the cost of participation for this world has... Okay, so I, I'm thinking on my feet here right now. But there's two, two ways to think about it. So I'm going to just do a bit of a quick recap. So recap, first of all, is for you to actually determine the different worlds that you have in your life. Then to think about what is the cost of participation for me to have in this world. Once you've understood the cost of participation in this world, what aspects of my participation in this world are positive for me? What aspects of me participating in this world are negative for me? The next question you want to explore is, am I able to just be able to keep the positive and reduce the negative? So if I talk back to the example I talked about with my the, the person in my life before who has lots of value in some ways and some things that I feel are dangerous for me in other ways, I've learned with that situation to go, yes, this is a person who in some ways I really love having in my life and I want to participate in this way. But the, the negative cost of being fully consumed with that world, I do not need. So I'm going to consciously put myself in you know, that part of the world and not that part of the world. So again, once you start to determine what these are, what the positive and negatives are, is how can I shift the percentage more towards the positive and less towards the negative? Now you may determine that some worlds, the cost of participation is actually too high for you and it's time to move away from those worlds. And I think that it's actually a really big thing to do. Um, I spoke to a lady a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not sure if this is necessarily the best example, but I spoke to a lady a couple of weeks ago who was this phenomenal lady. Oh, phenomenal. You know, it's really funny. I've become really good at letting the world know my story, and, and I've become very good at getting a microphone to speak from. And, and what I mean is that, you know, I'm very good at creating content and, and getting people who seem to like my work and, and having building a following that's willing to listen to my message. And, you know, like I, I try my best to do good work and, and obviously I, I get a lot of feedback telling me that people enjoy what I do and it's helping. And then you get these people who they tell you their story and it blows your mind away and you wish that they had the platform that you had to, to, to influence the world. And this lady was a lady who had experienced extreme domestic violence for, for years of her life and um, was, was caught in this, this trap of not getting out because she knew nothing else. And she joined a gym and uh, started doing some classes and then eventually became an instructor. And, and through this gym experience, she totally turned her life around and to the point where, you know, got rid of the partner and developed esteem within herself and now is helping many other females and it's that were that are in the same situation that she was in to shift and change. And and the work she was doing was absolutely phenomenal. Now, 
when we think about the world that she was in and we look at the cost of that, that's a really dangerous world. And sometimes we need to move away from the costs of those worlds. And at those times, we need to think of really good strategies. Now, I know domestic violence is a big example, but you, let's take it back a level. Let's say that it's that you, your friends have these kind of unwritten rules that you just all eat crap food all the time, or that fast food is the thing you joke about. Or maybe it's that you cheat on your partners. Like a lot of groups of people, and, and some men groups, and I'm sure some female groups as well, have this kind of unwritten rule that it's okay to cheat on your partner. You know, what's the cost of you being in that world? Maybe it's best that you move away from that world if you don't want to be the type of person who cheats on your partner. Or, you know, when your friends go out drinking, the cost of you being in that culture is that you get absolutely smashed. So are there some worlds that I am just better off to remove myself from? And then again, as I'm exploring new worlds, to actually be aware of what is my cost of participation and is this a participation that's going to add value to my life in a really powerful way? Ultimately, I, I believe that if you can be a lot more conscious around this stuff to actually be aware of the cost of participation and then to make choices that allow you to live more of the positive of the cost of participation and reduce or reduce or remove the negative costs, then you know that has to be powerful for you. So, yeah, so have a think about it. Have a look at your world. Really think to yourself, what are my worlds and what's my cost of participation? And then, is this a cost that is adding value to my life? Or is it harming me in some way, shape or form, either physically or mentally? And then from there, you know, how do I get more of the positive, less of the negative, and how do I remove those worlds and move towards better ones? Ultimately, if you can do this stuff well, I think it becomes easier for you to live in your better place, which leads to that best version of yourself. Hopefully you got some, some stuff to think about there. It's interesting, you know, as I did that talk, can you hear my squeaky chair? I've got, I've got a really squeaky chair. I should probably put a bit of a CRC on it. Um, as, as I kind of explored this, I was very much, I'll be honest, I kind of thought about people more than other aspects of your life as well. And, um, you know, this isn't necessarily a people-only thing. You know, like what's the cost of the world of you being on Facebook? What's the cost of, you know, other areas of your life that aren't necessarily just always driven about people but uh you know like when i did sport what was the cost of me doing iron man and was it a cost that ultimately benefited my life or harmed my life and it was interesting for me i i, I looking back i'm quite proud of the way i stepped away from iron man because there was a co- there was this cost of participation for a long time that added a massive amount of value and then after a period of time that value stopped and I was able to move on because the cost of participation wasn't giving me the benefits. And if anything, we were probably moving me towards a life that wasn't necessarily the best life for me. So just stuff to think about there. Um, I got so I got an email through the other day, which I thought I'd read out on the show. Now, I need to pull it up here right now. And uh, it's a really good question. I got an email through from, let me have a look here. 
Actually, I'm not sure if I should name names, um, but I got an email on, through from my website, bevanjamesos.com, and they had a question which is a really, really good question. This lady uh, is 150 kg, and she goes, I'm starting my journey by making my life total lifestyle change, but I would like your advice on starting exercise for someone who is currently 150 kg. What is a safe exercise regime to start with, and for how long? This, this is a really important question, and it's a question that, um, you know, is in a world where a lot more people are getting a lot more overweight, it's, it's something that is, as fitness professionals, we really need to address. And uh, for this person, uh, her name's Helen, I'm sure she won't mind me saying it, her name's Helen, um, for Helen, uh, it's a really good, first of all, well done on, on making this move. And I think there's a really there's some important things we need to really consider here. First of all, we're going to talk about the mind and we're going to talk about the physical. Now, when we talk about the mind, there's a few kind of things that I think are really important to reinforce in yourself. That I'm, my first objective is to build habit, not to chase results. The reason I say that is that when you, you know, if you've got to a certain, you know, you got to 150 kg and, you know, you wake up one day and you're sick of it and you want to make a change and what happens in this moment is you, you, you almost get a sense of a charge of wanting to change and in that moment that, that, that charge is going to get you through the next short period of time but actually it's, it's the history of success that's going to build the habit that's going to create the change of desire. And when people want to create change, often the thing they do is they put all their energy into seeing the results they are getting for the work they are doing. And when you are just looking at the results you're getting, sometimes with exercise and diet, that it, it takes time for you to actually get the benefit of the work that you're doing. So if, you, if you're looking at the result from day one, if you have a day where, you, you know, you might have three or four days where you're doing really well, but you don't see the result, mentally that's a really hard thing to take and it can have an adverse effect which can pull you away from the good work you were doing. So, you know, if you've listened to any of my old podcasts, there's probably going to be a few things to recap that, or that I've done before in the past, but all you're trying to measure is, am I creating a habit? Not what, how much weight have I lost or how much more can I go all this stage at this very first stage is am I creating a habit second thing I'll talk to is, is finding the right entry point and um, I've talked about entry points on the show in the past but your entry point is, is very much square one you know I, I don't know your current exercise ability but based on the email you know you're saying I'm starting a, a total lifestyle change which probably means that you haven't been exercising for a long time so when it comes to expectation around exercise in this first period, all you're trying to do is create wins. And wins happen when you create the right expectation around where to start, which I call entry points. So when you're starting off, your entry point for the first period of time is, what do I know I can do that seems easy in my mind? So don't think to yourself, I have to walk 20 minutes a day because that's what some internet site says. Your ability is probably pretty low, so if anything, I'm just trying to get you into the habit of doing exercise. So in this moment, the question of what do I know I can do that I guarantee that I can do today is going to get you out the door and you're going to have a win. So it might be a five minute walk. Now you can look at that and argue, well what's the point in doing a five minute walk? And I totally agree, physically it's probably not much, 
it's not going to create change but you're learning things about the habit of bringing exercise into your life so little things you learn about how to mentally get out the door you learn to pack your bag you learn to you know just start moving again you learn to you know when it's raining i've just started raining before the show and i'm going for a run this afternoon i was like oh no but i know how to deal with the situation still get out the door you start to learn to be successful but also you're having victories and at this stage it's really important that your your mental game is just about measuring what did i know i could do today that seemed easy that doesn't put stress on me that doesn't make it hard and then did i do it and if i did i've been successful and then, then I look towards the next session around that same type of stuff. Now, if you do that over time, what's going to happen is you're going to have more and more wins and the duration and the exercise, exercise intensity will increase. But it's not going to increase if you go out too hard too early, feel like a failure, feel like you're never going to get there and go straight back to the world, which is safe for you. Because the thing to acknowledge is that while you're motivated to make a lifestyle change, it's not the safe option. The safe option is to stay in the behaviours that took you to where you are right now. So as we're going to an unsafe world, we want to set you up in a way that makes you as successful as possible. One other thing I think, I, I won't go on for too long, but one other thing on the mental side of things is, I'm not sure if you listen to my other podcasts, listen to our podcast, I'm sure you'll get lots of insights from that too, but <clears throat> I think one other thing that's really important and it's, one thing I've learned a lot from dealing with my Get Up To Five group is one bad day is not the end of the world. And we find that people who have been unsuccessful with exercise for a while and have um, this emotional attachment to the fact that they're a failure of exercise, they have this um, this kind of, they have this thing in themselves that one bad day is the end of the world. And it's one thing that we talk to when I Get Up To Five is about at the seminar is that as an athlete, you learn that you're going to have crap days. Like, I've done sport my whole life, and, and I've had some terrible days. I've had days where I'm running down the street totally ashamed of myself because of the, the speed I was running at, because I was so tired and fatigued. But I still knew that tomorrow, you know, I'll, I'll probably in the next couple of sessions, I'm going to have a great session. And for people who have been unsuccessful in exercise, they can often go through that. So I think it's a really important thing to think about is I want to – is when I have a bad day, sure, bugger, but what can I learn from this and how do I resolve that I'm definitely going to get out and do the next day's exercise? So it might be that you missed today's exercise or or that it was just really hard or or you're just emotionally having a tough time. To remind yourself, these things happen. Look at how you can strategically get out there the next time and focus all your energy into just making sure the next session happens. Often the next session is the best session of your life. So just to be aware of that. There, there are lots of things I could really talk to in the mind side. I'm not sure if you've listened to all the podcasts. Maybe go back and listen to the podcast. And, and I have got a book out, which you can get as well. So maybe you want to check out my book, The Fitness Attitude. On the, on the, fi- no, on the physical side of things, I, I, 150kgs is a lot of weight to be dealing with when we look at impact. So I would really be looking to move, stay away from a lot of impact exercise at the very beginning or slowly building the impact. And, and of, actually the best advice I could get you, give you is to, to invest in a really great fitness professional who has dealt with people like you in the past. You don't want somebody who's done, you know, does deals with high level athletes all the time because they may not necessarily know how to deal with someone in your situation in a way you know they may you know your body has different 
challenges it has to work through as you start to try to reduce your weight and increase your fitness. So I would say you want to get a really good personal trainer who can work with you in a way that is safe. I also think for someone in your position, you probably do want to go see a doctor first and get some testing done as well. So I would definitely start get some testing done, <clears throat> not just from the doctor, but also from your physical, uh, your fitness professional. And then I would probably look to stay away from impact exercise at first, just to get a bit of conditioning in. You may want to get a bit of strength work in, so you can get a bit of strength work. And then you can start to work towards some impact exercise. And that would be very light walking on things like soft surfaces. But, you know, cycling and those types of things. One other thing you do have to be aware of, <coughs> sorry, I'm a bit croaky, is that when you are overweight, certain types of movements are harder just because of the weight you carry. So, you know, you'll have to work around your techniques with, again, with a great personal trainer. So they can design a program around your body type and shape that will make it more accessible for you to be able to achieve the movements that you're doing hope that helps uh, good on you you know like it's it's a you know when you've got to the weight you're at I know that it, you know there's obviously a lot of stuff to overcome and um surround yourself with a great world of people you know think positive think about stuff we've talked in today's show and uh, let me know how you're going I'm sure you'll get there you know you really will it's if you're determined to do it you can do it anyway guys that's uh that's this month's show I um I have to plug my book here. I'm going to do that every show from here on in. Uh, the Fitness Behaviour is my book. You can get the Kindle version on Amazon.com. It's got all five-star reviews, which is kind of cool. And at one stage, it got up to like 15th in the, the all top health and fitness books. And that's because you guys went on and got it. If you've listened to this show for a long time and you haven't got it and uh, you want to support the show, you know, um, hopefully you've, you can go and do that. It costs you, I think, $16 US and... Uh, I have to say, I've got the coolest thing happen to me the other week. I had a lady come up to me, and uh, you know, like it's, uh, you know, like it's really cool that people are enjoying the book. But a lady came up to me and she said, "I've never read a book in my life, and your book is the first book that I've ever read." And uh, she really enjoyed it, which is cool. But I just kind of that really made my day. You know, that someone who's never read a book that my work inspired them to read a book. So I have to say, there was definitely a highlight. So once again, go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com. And you can get the, there's a link to the Amazon account there, or just go straight to Amazon. Or you can also go to my website if you're in New Zealand and you can get it shipped to you for free within New Zealand. Unfortunately, that's not happening overseas, so just to be aware of that. Also, while you're at my site, you can sign up for my email blog and uh, just email me any questions you've got. Anyway, I was considering I normally do 40 minutes, although often I do go to an hour. Um, that, that's pretty much me. Uh, hopefully, next month I'm going to have Gilbert and Noka on for you. And uh, my year quietens off from here on in, so I'm going to sit back and relax for the rest of the year. Anyway, guys, you have a wonderful month, and I'll see you soon.